You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Thank you so much, musicians, worshippers. Well, good morning. I can't believe we're already at week six of this series in James, Faith That Works. I was just speaking to someone at the beginning of the service when we were greeting one another. I just, I've loved this series in James. I hope you have too. Often, if I was coming to the last week of a series, then at the beginning of my message, I'd try to summarize the journey so far. So far. I can't even speak. It's not starting well. But you know, to think of trying to summarize all the ground that we've covered in the last six weeks since Dr. John was here in that first week giving us an introduction, I can't cover it all. I'm afraid if you haven't been here, you'll have to go online, listen to the podcast, catch up for yourself on all the ground that has been covered. But through it all, we've been hearing that faith has a face. That our faith is meant to be visible. It can't just be contained on the inside of us and not change the things we do, not change the things we say, not change the things that we, the way that we live our lives. Our faith is meant to be outworked. It's meant to be a faith that is visible to those around us, a faith that is shaping our choices and our lives every day. Now, I hope you've enjoyed the series, but I'm sure you've been challenged by it. You know, as Luke said in his preach last week, if you've not been challenged by this series, which version of the Bible are you reading? It's definitely different to the one I have been reading. But I know that all of us would have been challenged, on, probably on many levels, about where we're at in our lives and where we need to move forward. It's why in our life groups we've been encouraging us to focus in on what's the one thing What's the one thing I should take from this? What's the one thing I should seek to move forward in? And as we come to this final chapter of James, chapter 5 this morning, it would be wonderful if James was just bringing us in gently for a nice rounded conclusion. Maybe bringing us some greetings like Paul does at the end of his letters. I'm looking kind of for an easy end to the week, you know, like double drama on a Friday afternoon. Do you remember that? It's like what you had last thing on a Friday was important when you were at school. Double chemistry was bad news. Double drama, double PE, this can work. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Good. I'm afraid that's not what James does though. And uh, he's got more to say. He's not easing us in to landing gently here. He has got some encouragements. There is some strengthening to come from these verses, but he's got more strong words also to bring. And so let's turn there right away. Chapter 5 of James, we're going to read from verse 1 all the way through. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. 
You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Sometimes like this, it speaks to us directly and strongly, but we thank you that you give it to us to continue your work in us, to help us to know you more and to make us more like you. And so we welcome you this morning to speak to us. And we ask that you'd help us as we dig a little deeper into these words. Amen. Amen. So how do we go about navigating this chapter of Scripture this morning? You know, maybe in your version, as in mine, in the NIV, there's three different headings. It can seem like we're on with a number of different agendas. And certainly, Characteristically, James covers a lot of ground. But what I want to do is to bring us to a verse that's right in the middle of this chapter because I think it will help us to understand what James is really trying to communicate to the church. If you just look with me down to verse number nine, it begins, don't grumble, although that's not where I want to bring the emphasis. But just the last sentence of that verse, James says this, the judge is standing at the door. He says, the judge is standing at the door. If you want a title for the message this morning, it's that the judge is standing at the door. The judge you see is Jesus. He will return to judge. And James is saying he's standing at the door. Last weekend, we were away with all of my wider family, uh, my biological family. This here church, in some senses, is family to us, but also we have the families we were born into. So we were away, 20 of us were away. Um, hired a big sort of lodge, and uh, I've got four sisters, they're all married, so there's quite a lot of nieces and nephews. 
And during the weekend, there were five of the youngest cousins. The girls were all sharing a bedroom together. The youngest is seven, the oldest is 12. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a setting with five young girls like that, but there's a lot of excitement. Also, when you get cousins together, there's something happens when cousins are together. It's like all the best things about siblings who know each other really well, without all the irritation of actually having to live with them all the time. So there's a lot of excitement when cousins get together. So now they're sharing a bedroom and there's high excitement. So they shared a bedroom all weekend. It comes to the last evening. It's been a beautiful day. We've been to the beach. They've spent the day running on the beach, being in the sea. We've gone back to the beach late at night and had a fire. They should be worn out. They're allowed to stay up till 10 p.m. They get into bed as a hot night, so we leave the window wide open. I say, it's okay, I'll come back in before I go to bed. I'll close the window and, and we're all good. But you just all get off to sleep. I went and did a bit of clearing up, a few jobs. You know, it was the last night, we needed to make sure we were leaving the place clean and tidy. And then before I went to bed about 11, I went into their room to close the window. So as you know, parents who've tried to do this, you go into the room when children are sleeping and you don't want to disturb them. So I tiptoed into the room, over to the window. It was one of those big old sash windows. Closed it as quietly as I could. Job's good. Pulled the curtains over. Turned around, just heading to leave the room. Just gazed over towards where Anna, my daughter, was sleeping. As I did that, she went... So I crept right over and I whispered to her, how come you're awake? She said, mom, we're all awake. <laughs> she said, we were laughing and talking until about two minutes ago and we heard you coming up and we saw you at the door so we all pretended to be asleep. We're all awake. Okay, would have helped if I'd known that. I wouldn't have made such a fool of myself, wouldn't have taken me so long, but this is life, isn't it? When there's someone at the door to enforce what we should have been doing, then we do it. When the boss is not in the room, we're not always quite as attentive to the tasks that we're on with. Maybe we'll check Facebook, maybe we'll check Instagram, but probably not if the boss is at the door. You see, that evening, there was something that those children were meant to be doing in that room. They were meant to be going to sleep. There were some other things that they wanted to be doing. Eating sweets, eating popcorn, talking together, being daft, laughing. And so really, they were getting on with the things they wanted to do and had kind of put aside the thing they should have been doing. And they only returned to what they should have been doing when they knew that someone was at the door, when they knew someone was there and they thought they might get into trouble. And it's a little bit like what we find James doing here for the church. He's saying, remember, the judge is standing at the door. The judge is there. Now, I don't know about you, but it seemed to me like throughout the whole book of James, James is trying to bring Jesus into the room. The things that he says, the way he says it, the principles, they all go back to Jesus. It echoes Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. It echoes Jesus' parables. It's full of his principles, of his ways. It's like James all the time, he's just trying to help us be like Jesus. It's through there all the time. He's encouraging us, trying to call us to make Jesus visible to others. And so in some ways, it should be no surprise that as he comes towards the end of his letter to these followers of Jesus, he's reminding them, he's saying, Jesus the judge is standing at the door. He's standing at the door. He's watching. He's hearing. 
he's listening. See, it isn't time yet for Jesus to walk fully into the room, to put the lights on and call time on things as we know them. It's not time for him yet to come and judge, although he will do one day. But James wants us to understand what's happening in the meantime, that God The Lord Jesus Christ is at the door, and he wants us to understand what he's doing at the door. He is not a God who is disengaged from the world that he created. He's not like a parent who's walked away, put headphones in, and is settling down to the latest box set on Netflix without any regard as to what is going on in the bedroom. No, he's at the door. He's listening. He knows what's going on in the room. He knows what's going on in your room. He knows what's going on in my room. He knows what's going on in every place across the world, public and private, seen and unseen. And James here is giving us a window into what the judge is doing at the door so that for us, his followers, we know that he's there, we know that he's present, and we remember that he's watching so that we do what we should be doing. And we don't get found out for doing those things that we felt like doing but shouldn't have been doing because we thought no one was watching and so we took our eyes off the ball and stopped doing what we should be doing. And so here, James really shows us three things that the judge at the door is doing. First up this morning that he says he's doing is he is hearing the cries of the oppressed. He's hearing the cries of the oppressed. Verse four here, it says, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. The wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. Now, in my Bible, this has a little subheading that's put there by the translators to try and make it easier for us to navigate our way through the scriptures. And it says this, it says, warning to rich oppressors. So I wonder this morning, if you're here and you're a rich oppressor, I just wonder if you'd be willing to just raise your hand, because I don't know how many there are here, and it would just help me to know who I'm speaking to this morning. Any rich oppressors? Anyone? No, I didn't, I didn't think anyone would put their hand up. You see, when I read this, I thought, I'm not a rich oppressor. These verses are for somebody else. They're not actually for me. I don't have any fields that are being harvested. I don't have any fields that someone else is mowing. I'm not employing any people that I'm not paying. But then I found that when I began to unpack a little more what James was saying, it began to look a little different. You see, what James is saying to the believers, there isn't a problem here if you're wealthy. There isn't a problem here if you're rich. That's not what he's talking about. The issue is one of hoarding wealth. See, James's warning and criticism is for those who had enough to spare but didn't put it to use to bring freedom to others. They just hoarded it for themselves. I don't know if you've ever had moths in your house. James starts talking about moths. He says that moths have eaten your clothes. We have had moths in our house. We've had quite a lot of moths in our house. I'm not proud, but uh, we've had a lot of moths in our house. We've got a large bare patch in the carpet in our living room because moths ate it. I have got more t-shirts than I care to number that have two little holes about here where they've been eaten by moths. Just two, just enough to ruin the t-shirt. There's some of you, you've got tops as well, and you're thinking now, I've got tops with two holes just there. Bizarrely, they always do it just there. There's a scientific reason. I'm not going to go into that now. I haven't got time. But I'm sorry to say, you thought you just caught your T-shirts on something. No, you've got moths in your house. 
You see, the thing is that moths don't come and eat your carpet in the light when you're watching and when you're walking on it. And moths don't come and eat your clothes when you're wearing them in broad daylight. What moths do is they come and they find the dark place and that's where they lay their eggs. And then the larvae come and they eat the carpet and they eat the t-shirts when they're away in the darkness and you can't see they're doing it so you can't stop them. It's the things that are not being used that get eaten by moths. It's the things that are being stored away. Mercifully, the hole in our carpet is under a bookcase because that was the dark place. So we haven't felt the need to replace the whole carpet because you can live with it. There's a bear patch under the, car under the bookcase. That's okay. But it's the things that aren't used that get eaten by moths. It's the things that are hoarded or the things that are beyond what we absolutely need. James is speaking to some of the Christians. He's saying, you have got so much precious metal in your house that is way beyond what you need. You've got so much, it's in the cupboard corroding. He said, and it's going to show you up when the judge comes. He's going to say, what's this stuff in the cupboard? Corroding metal, fabric with holes in. Why was it left there in the dark, unused, hidden? He says, you're not putting it to use for yourself, but then you're not using it for anyone else either. And James is saying, and meanwhile, meanwhile at the door, the judge can hear the cries of the oppressed. Some who go without pay. Some who don't have what they need. Some who go to bed hungry. See, Jesus is the judge at the door, and he hears those cries and sees us storing up our wealth at the same time. He's at the door. Because he sees what goes on in the world, it means he hears the cries of the 40 million people who are caught up in human trafficking and modern-day slavery, forced to work without any choice or without appropriate recompense. He hears the cries of those who are in poverty, who can't afford to educate their children or access health care for them, because even though they may spend long hours harvesting coffee beans in Ethiopia or chocolate beans in Ghana, because we only want to pay a certain price for them, they don't get paid enough to access education or health care for their children. We're perhaps unconcerned with whether the harvesters get paid fairly. You know, when I think of what we wear, most of us are more concerned with the logo on our t-shirt than whether the people who made it were able to feed their family. I didn't think I was a rich oppressor, but as I began to consider it, I find I'm not so easily be able to discard James's words. I think from the quiet in the room, you probably think the same too. James wants the followers of Jesus to know that the judge is standing at the door, to remind us of what it should look like in the room, of what we should be doing with what we have, because he says, if you keep living like this, Weep and wail, because when the judge comes in the room, if he finds this, he'll have something to say about it, and it won't be good. He doesn't want that to happen. He's warning the Christians to make sure they're doing what they should be doing, to make sure their faith has the face that it should have. You see, he's saying to them, what you should be doing with what you have to spare is using it to bring freedom to others. Why would we expect that of followers of Jesus? We would expect that because that's exactly what Jesus did. 
when he looked from heaven and he saw our pitiful state, when he saw that we were not free, when he saw that we could not save ourselves and we did not have enough, he gave everything. He laid aside all of his glory, everything that he had, everything, any resource, it was put aside so he could come and pour out his life to the last drop to save us to lift us up out of that place, to bring us freedom. And so he says, how can you think that he can stand at the door and watch while you who he has saved take wealth for yourself and do not pass on the blessing that has been given to you? It's no wonder that the judge will have something to say about such behavior. He's calling us to be like Jesus, to use everything that we have to release others into freedom from suffering, from oppression. You know, this is why as a church, when you bring your tithes and offerings into the house here, we will use the money to help grow the ministries here as church, but also we give away some of the money into ministries who are working to relieve poverty and oppression. It's why we give some of what's brought into the house to hope for justice. We give to them every month. They're a charity who works to end modern day slavery, seeking to investigate and release people who are trapped in situations of slavery. It's why we give financially and of our time to run a winter night shelter, which helps people, some of whom have jobs but get paid such a low wage that they can't save up to get a deposit to have accommodation. So the night shelter can help to shelter them and then help them bridge the gap. It's why in a couple of weeks we'll meet with Ian Burton from CAP, from the Coventry Debt Centre, to further develop our partnership with them to help those who are trapped in the poverty and the oppression of debt. It's why from later on this summer, Steve Jones, who was on the platform playing guitar this morning, will be joining the team here as a missions partnership coordinator doing a role to help many of us in the church connect with partner ministries, working in the city so that we can all be active in using whatever we have to go and help those whose cries have been heard by Jesus. And you know, we can all use our choices as consumers and customers. The things that we buy, the things that we eat, the things that we wear. Find out if the products that you love or the shop you love to shop in trade fairly. Find out, ask. You don't have to stop buying it if the answer is no. But use your voice to ask them in the shop. Ask for your concerns to be passed on to the manager that you want to know if things have been fairly traded or not. You know, retailers want your feedback. They ask you for your feedback. If you buy stuff online, they pursue you for feedback. Maybe that will be less after GDPR, but they pursue you. They want to know what the retailer wants. So if you say, I want fairly traded produce, I'm willing to pay a little bit more because I want to know that people can pay for their families to have food and have education. Retailers want to know what you want. They may not do it immediately, but we can use our voice and our consumer power to bring change, but don't do nothing. The judge at the door hears the cries of the oppressed, and so friends, what we should be doing is using what we have to bring freedom. Showing mercy to others as we have been shown mercy ourselves. Secondly, this morning, the judge is waiting patiently. He's waiting for the right time for the harvest. 
He's waiting patiently for the right time for the harvest. You know there's a right time to harvest things. I'm no farmer. I don't grow a lot, but I know there's a right time for the harvest. I've bought my strawberries in Tesco, and I've gone home, and they look red, and they look sweet, and they look juicy, and I've put them in the bowl, and I'm anticipating what's going to happen when I put it in my mouth, and then you put it in, and it's bitter because it was harvested too soon. It wasn't ripe. And you know you can put some sugar on it, but it doesn't taste the same, does it? It's not quite what you were hoping for. There is a right time for the harvest. And the good farmer waits for the right time for the harvest. And here James gives us a picture of the farmer, the farmer who is waiting, waiting for the rains and waiting for the right time for the harvest. And he likens this picture, you know, it's reminiscent of Jesus' teaching. Matthew 13, Jesus told a parable about a farmer. Jesus told a lot of parables about a farmer. And you know in the parables that Jesus told about a farmer, do you know who the farmer normally was? It was him, the son of man. Certainly in this parable, in Matthew 13, he explains that it was him. A parable of the weeds, he says, where good and evil are allowed to grow up together. And he said, the reason for this, the reason we're not going to start pulling the evil weeds out now is if you pull the evil weeds out, you might ruin some of the crop as you're doing it. And the crop's too precious for that. Just let them grow up together. And when the time comes, then we'll harvest, then we'll sort it out, and then we'll get rid of the evil. But he says, the farmer is waiting, waiting patiently. Jesus is waiting patiently for the right time. It's not that he hasn't noticed. It's not that he doesn't know there's evil going on, but he's waiting for the right time. You know, sometimes we wonder, don't we, why doesn't the judge step in? Why doesn't he come and do things with something? We see something on the news or sometimes in our own lives. We see poverty. We see oppression even in our own city. We say, Lord, why haven't you done something yet? Why don't you walk in the room? In 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter writes this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. There's this sense that he's waiting for the right time, that the most people might be saved, that it would be the best time the best time to call time on evil once and for all. You know, he can't just dip in and out of the room. You may have heard the saying that when the playwright steps onto the stage, then the play is over. When he comes back in the room and calls time, that's it. He doesn't dip in and out of the room. When he comes back, it will be time. Time to call time on evil, time to judge. And he says he's waiting patiently for the right time. Sometimes when we are in difficult times, we talked about this earlier because it comes up in chapter one, doesn't it? When you face trials of many kinds, persecution, suffering, maybe sometimes we're wronged, but sometimes we can get angry that God doesn't step in. Sometimes we can begin to question if he's faithful and if he's good. We don't understand why he behaves how he is, but James is saying, just remember, you may be going through trials of many kinds. He says, remember the judge is at the door and he's waiting patiently. He's not indifferent, but he's waiting patiently. So be patient too. If he can wait patiently, you can wait patiently. Please persevere, James says. Allow God to work in you in this season. If you weren't here for Pastor Martin's week two, looking at chapter one of God working in us, then follow it up on the podcast. 
As hard as it is in this season, let God be shaping you and working in you. James points us to Job. He says, look at Job. He suffered, but he persevered, and he was so blessed in the end. He says, just keep being patient. Keep persevering. If you don't give up, you will be blessed. You will be blessed, but you've got to keep going and be patient. So James really is just reminding the Christians here. The Lord hasn't changed. He's full of compassion and mercy. That's what he says here. But in the midst of whatever you're going through, stay patient. Be patient. Remember he's at the door and he's waiting patiently to call time on evil. So do the same. Be patient. Persevere. Don't give up. Thirdly, this morning, the judge standing at the door, he is working. He's working and he's working in and through his people, the church. James begins this final section reminding us that in every season of life, there is a context to engage with God. Whether you're in trouble, whether you're sick, whether you're happy, that's a God day. You know, some of us, we get up and some days we can feel like it's easy to connect with God and some days not so much. Or some days when things are really tough, we find it easier to engage with God. James is saying every season is a God day. There's a way to connect with him. If it's all going right, then praise him. Thank him. Celebrate with others. If you're sick, then get people to pray for you. If you're struggling, ask for help. Get brothers to pray with you and stand with you. If you've messed up, then come and say sorry. There is no day, there is no circumstance that is not a God circumstance or not a God day. And he reminds us, bring him into everything because he's working, he's active He hasn't left us alone. And he's at work and he's ministering through his church, through his people. And James unpacks this a little bit, what it can look like. He gives us an example of healing, of a a call, you know, if you're sick and weak, he says, get the elders to come and pray and, and they'll be healed. We also, we understand here God can heal with his, through his Holy Spirit in any one of us as believers. He wants to use us as a whole body to minister to one another. There's lots of language in these last few verses of each other. James says right towards the end, if anyone wanders and someone should turn him back. It doesn't need the elders to turn someone back. Someone, anyone. Now often God's looking for a someone. I want to be God's someone. So God, you can send me anywhere. Tell me to do anything. I'll be your someone. You need someone, I'll be someone. So he's saying he's working through someones in this season. James says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so you may be healed. You know, you can be forgiven by praying to God. If you need forgiveness, just pray to God right now. But it's implied by what James says here that really to be healed and to get whole, you need to tell someone else about your sin. He said, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. We can easily be forgiven in prayer, but actually the journey of getting whole and getting free from our sin, we need one another on that journey. You know, I've got a good friend of mine who's a godly, godly person, but they had a season in which they had another couple, another godly couple staying with them in their house. And with my friend, we have an open and a candid relationship, and we challenge each other and champion one another. We encourage each other and pray for each other. And one day when we were talking, she said something to me. She said, I need to confess something to you, Esther. She said, we've got these people staying in our house, and I found myself attracted to this other man. She said, there's nothing wrong with my marriage, but I I just find myself attracted to him, and I I wasn't expecting that, and I don't know what to do with that. 
but I knew I needed to confess it to you. And the thing is, we were able to talk about it. I was able to talk with her and say, well, okay, how, how are you going to close this down in your head and in your thinking? How are you going to give this no room whatsoever? How are you going to make every single choice to protect your marriage in this moment, knowing that I was going to follow up with her, knowing that I wasn't going to give her any leeway because I love her too much to let her mess her life up? And so we talked, and I prayed with her, and then I continued to pray for her, and you know, she managed to walk through that in an incredibly godly way, just yield to him. But she needed to confess what she was struggling with. As many of us, we need to confess what we're struggling with because we all have vulnerabilities and areas where the enemy will come after us, and we need one another to stand with us. You know, some of us are stuck in our sin still because we haven't dared to tell anybody. You don't need to tell everyone. You don't need to tell your whole life group. You just need to tell someone, someone that you trust. You can tell your whole life group. Some, sometimes it, it works to share together in a group. That's what life groups are for. But you don't have to tell a whole group if you don't feel you can, but confess your sins to each other so you can be healed. James then goes on and he says, you know, the Lord He's working. He's working in and through his church. He says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. He's at the door, but the main way that he's working right now is in answer to the prayers of his people. That's God's chosen way of working in and through you and me, through what we're doing, through what we're being to each other, and the prayers that we're bringing to God for him to answer. You know, James, we heard last week, didn't we, was a great prayer. His nickname, as Luke told us, was Old Camel Knees because his knees were so calloused from praying and praying and praying. Wow. This is how God is outworking his plans in the earth, is in answer to our prayers. Wow. You know, I heard someone say a few weeks ago, if God were to answer all of your prayers today, how much of the world would be changed? Would there be any impact beyond your little sphere? where you live and work. It's challenging. How much are we making ourselves available to God to work through us? I know it can be hard to quantify the impact of our prayers, but when we stop and we think about things we've prayed for, God has answered so many prayers. Even here in the life of the church, we were just rehearsing yesterday about the Techno Center car park, where we had nowhere for 200 cars to park on a Sunday morning, and that's a big problem for us. And the techno center had said, when we asked if we could speak with them, no, no, definitely not. But then there was a week of prayer and fasting, and we prayed. And the no, no, definitely not somehow miraculously changed to a yes, okay, and keep up the good work. Wow, this is the God who answers our prayers. See, the judge is standing at the door and he's listening to what we're praying so that he might answer and be at work in the world that we're in. You know, next Friday, prayer and praise come because we're going to be speaking and praying, asking the Lord, bringing some things to him for him to answer and to be at work in our city and nation. But we call you, we invite you, come and be part of God working in the church and through the church. James says to the church this morning, the judge is at the door, and he's working in and through the church. So we should be part of what God's doing. We should be part of it. If you're on the edge of church, if you're just joining, or if you've been around and not really got stuck in, be a part of what God's doing. 
Be a part. Get into a life group. Get into a serving team. Play your part. Make yourself available to others. Confess your sins to each other. Be someone that others can confide in and confess their sins to. Be someone who prays for others and offers to pray for them. Be vessels of God's healing, forgiveness, grace, wholeness. And pray, 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 pray. Don't stop praying, church. This is how we release God's working into the world, the world of our lives, but beyond that. Pray for what you need. Pray for others. Pray for your families, but pray for the harvest. Pray for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for the nations of the earth. Pray for men and women, for young people and children to have a revelation that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. But be part of what God is doing. Be part of what he's doing because he's working in and through his church. So allow him to work in you. As we come to finish this morning, Sarah, please do come and, and help me. As we come to bring a closure to this Sunday focus in James, I simply want to ask us how we're looking. You know, back in chapter one, James gave us the picture of a man looking into a mirror. And he says, if you hear the word and do what it says, that's good. If you don't, you're like a man who looks in a mirror and then immediately he walks away from it, forgets what he looks like. So the question as we come to finish this morning is how are you looking? How am I looking? I know looking in the book of James, it's been like the clearest mirror that's just been polished with spotlights behind it, showing up all manner of blemishes, the kind of mirror you don't always want to look at. But having looked in it, let's stop and consider how are we looking? Where am I up to? I know that every one of us will have been challenged. I know every one of us would have remind, been reminded that we've still got a long way to go in becoming like Jesus, in making him visible to the world around us. We're all a work in progress. When we look in the mirror of God's word, the reflection we see isn't yet all like Jesus. I'm sure you've been glad to be reminded like I have in this series that mercy triumphs over judgment. And as we heard last week that he gives us more grace. James is no gusher, but I'm interested where he closes in verse 19 and 20 here. He comes in and he says, brothers and sisters, if any of you should wander from the truth, and I love the fact that as he comes to finish, he says, brothers and sisters, I know you're in the family. I know you're on this journey. I also know you can wander from the truth. I can wander from the truth. Sometimes I wander from the truth. Sometimes you can wander from the truth. And the reason we come back and we read the word is so we'll be brought back. And we say, oh, I've wandered. How did I get here? Sometimes we can't always work out how we got here. But we can be brought back. James says, if anyone wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. Wherever you find yourself this morning, there's a way back. You can be brought back. Wherever you are, however far you've wandered, or maybe you've never even actually come to Jesus before, you can come this morning and find him for the first time. And when you come to Jesus Christ, as James reminds us, you can be brought back and there can be a multitude of sins that can be covered over and you can be saved from death. It's no wonder James is passionate and direct. It's like, please, I don't want anyone to die. 
I don't want anyone to face eternal death. I don't want anyone to be found doing what they shouldn't be doing when the judge returns. He said, I want them to know life. I want them to be brought back. I want the multitude of their sins to be covered over. So James writes, brothers and sisters, friends, we're called to a faith that works, a faith that is lived out, a faith that has a face that is growing day by day to be more like Jesus, making him visible to the world around us. And as James reminds us again this morning, Jesus will return as judge. And even now he's standing at the door, he's hearing, he's waiting patiently, and he's working through his church. So the call today for you and for me is to use everything we have to bring freedom to others, like we've been bought freedom, is to wait patiently for his return, persevering, not giving up, and letting him work in us and through us as part of his church, to bring him honor and to bring him glory. We're going to invite the band to come, and in a moment, they're going to lead us in a song of response. Before that, I'm going to pray. I'm going to encourage us to stand to respond this morning. I find so many of James's words deeply challenging. But I know that I want to respond. And I know that when the judge comes back, I want to be found doing what I should be doing. I'm going to invite us to respond this morning. Maybe you know that Maybe in some small or big area of life, you've wandered from the truth. And maybe you, for all of us, there's a moment now to respond to him. Just position yourself. You might want to kneel. You might want to open your hands to him, but open your heart. Father, we thank you that when we were far off from you, you came and you found us. That Jesus, you gave everything so that mercy could triumph over judgment. And we don't need to be afraid of your return, but we do need to make sure that we've been attentive to you and yielded to you. And we thank you that you don't just call us to a standard and expect us to attain to it, but you give us your spirit to calm and work in us and help us. And we say thank you and we welcome you, Holy Spirit, that you'd fill every heart and life again and empower us to become like Jesus and to live in all these things that you call us to do. That, Lord, we would be the church that you call us to be. We would have a face that looks more and more like Jesus, that makes you visible to our world so they might find you, see you, know you, and worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.